Hey, everybody. Glad you're back for Playful Podcast. Jen Risher is our guest today. Uh, stick around for a great conversation. Jen is someone who is not afraid to talk about money so that money will move and move differently than it does to create more equity, more fairness, and a better world. So take a listen. You know you'll love it. Bye. You're listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. Let's jump right in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Playful Podcast. And today's guest, I am so happy to introduce you to her, if you don't know her yet, is Jen Risher. She is um, someone I've met, I guess, only electronically at this point, but soon in person. That's our plan. And she is a philanthropist, a change maker, and I'd love her to tell you um, a little bit about herself as we get started. So welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thanks, Christine. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me in for a conversation. Um, yeah, you said just introduce myself and I, it's how do I start? So I, I guess I could say I am someone who talks about money because we need to talk about it. And when we talk about it, then we can kind of use it with purpose. So I'm an author. I've written a, a book about wealth and also a person who wants to change our our systems um, and create more equity, gender, racial, economic equity with my money. So using my money with impact, understanding the power of it and trying to create the world I want to live in. Woo. If you hadn't <laughs> rehearsed that, like, oh my God, that is so beautiful. Thank you. I don't know if I would have gotten all those words in that order in describing you, but that's what about you attracted me to you. So, no. so Thank you so much for sharing that with everyone. I start each episode with a question. And if you've had a chance to listen, you'll have heard this. And those in the audience will have gotten to hear this from other change makers. Regarding play, who is the most playful person you know? Oh, my goodness. I looked at your eight different models of play. And I was thinking about play and what it means. And I would initially say, you know, my husband because he is goofy and he's playful in a way that I think we think of playful, like, which is fun and goofy and let's do this. And he's kind of what I'm not, <laughs> but that balances us out really well. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does seem that in so many ways, you know, couples and families usually have this, you know, if you've got two kids, you kind of usually have one of one, one of another. If you've got four of them, you have two and two or three and one in so many characteristics. And I think play is an example of that. Um, do you have an example of a time where his playfulness was contagious and, and you got in the spirit or does that happen all the time? It happens all the time. And he would say, oh yeah, I have to drag them along, me and my daughters. <laughs> like he's like, let's go on the roller coaster. Let's do this. And we're like, mm, no, no, no. And then finally we're like, okay. And then it's of course, super fun. So he, he encouraged us to get out of our comfort zone and, and try new things and, and get playful. I mean, he's the one that puts on the, the fake nose and those glasses, <laughs> or he, you know, he does those kinds of, but what I consider kind of goofy, um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's fun to, when I think of playful, it's like laughter and, and I love laughing. Well, one of the things I know about your family is that you and David, your husband have actually worked together at different times in your career at the same company. You've worked together with each other in building something yourselves. I think I recall at least one of your daughters is also involved in some of the work you're currently doing and probably all your family involved, you know. Tell me about how playful or fun it is to work with family members. You know, it has been 
Awesome. And I didn't know that before we started because when my husband and I came up with this idea and we realized, okay, we're going to do this thing together. I was a little skeptical. How is it going to be to be really seriously working with as a couple? Mm -hmm. Um, Was that going to work out? Like we, we can't ride a a bicycle with like together, like uh, what's that (laughs) called? not a unicycle, but the other one. Uh, um, And we can't cook together and we can't, you know, we have tried hanging wallpaper together. There's certain things that we really shouldn't do together. And so I was a little worried that this might be one of them, but actually it's been amazing. We've Mm -hmm. learned from each other. We've um, collaborated and come up with, I mean, it's been really fun. And then our daughters have both gotten involved. So yeah, that's, that's very fun. Okay. So now I know what you're talking about. So let me have you let in the rest of the audience about this most, I think you're talking about your most recent thing, Half My DAF, which is something that you founded together. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give a quick little primer on a DAF. So DAF is an acronym. Many of the listeners will know what that is, but for those who don't, it's a donor advised fund, which is a charitable mechanism where a donor can, and then Jen, please correct me or any things I get wrong or need to add. Um, in a donor advised fund, you can you can make a contribution to a DAF holder, which could be Fidelity or Vanguard, so these Schwab, these big entities. Community foundations also will hold donor advised funds for folks. You make your donation there. As the donor, you get the tax write-off then, and then the dollars sit there to be deployed for charitable purposes. They're restricted to that, but as, as Jim will share with you, there aren't a lot of kind of regulations um, or requirements beyond that about what happens next with the money. So in the field, and many of the audience members I'm sure are familiar with this, it has been a source of, you know, conversation at best, maybe controversy, et cetera, about, well, what's all that money just doing there if the donor already got the tax deduction, but no charity has yet benefited? And so, um, Half my DAF is a part of the answer to that question. And if that's a good setup, please take it from there or, or, or add in what I might have missed. That's a perfect setup. Um, absolutely. And DAFs are kind of having a heyday. Everyone wants to open a DAF and have a DAF. And they're growing and the number sitting in DAFs is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are really, a, a, they're a tool and they're a mechanism that makes it easier to give. So the spirit of a DAF is is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um but let me back up. So in David and I were sheltering in place um, during COVID. We were sitting in our backyard and I mean, this was in March or April of 2020. So it was like, wow, the world was like kind of collapsing and, yeah. and, and there was so much need, so much uncertainty. And my husband was running a nonprofit so he could feel mm. the funding kind of drying up. Um, and nonprofits were working harder than ever. There was more need than ever. Right. And yet they couldn't hold their luncheon. They couldn't fundraise. They just, and, and so it was a really difficult time. And so we were thinking our hearts were really just going out to nonprofits. We had already kind of started to give to places we were already giving, but we wanted to do more. And we were just talking about how do we, what do we do? How can we do more? What's, what's our, our role here? And we came up with this idea of, well, we wanted to give to nonprofits, but we're also aware of the money that was sitting in donor advised funds. And at the time it was an amazingly large amount of money that we had a hard time wrapping our heads around. It was $120 billion. And that is, so that's five times NASA's yearly budget sitting charitable dollars sitting in donor advised funds. So we were very aware of that. We were aware of the need on the other side and 
you know, while we could just start giving to nonprofits, we thought, how can we get more giving to nonprofits? So we came up with the idea of inspiring others. So we put up a million dollars and we said, here's money that will be used as matches for anyone who commits to spending down half of the money that's in their DAF right now. Um, and we had this idea, so we called it Half My DAF, and we started to talk to people, and we built a website, and we contacted different press contacts that we had, and we launched with Giving Tuesday, which was in yeah. May of 2020, and we said, you know, here we are, you know, all you DAF holders out there, commit to spending down half your DAF, and you can get matches. We'll match wherever you want to give. We didn't really step in between the, the giver and, and where they wanted to give. As long as you don't promote hate speech or gun violence, give wherever you want and you'll be eligible for a match. And so we started that in May. And by September, Ooh. we had moved $8.6 million out of DAFs to nonprofits. Wow. Paint that picture. I can imagine you and David sitting there just picturing this. It's hard to picture $120 billion, but to the degree you can picture it behind kind of like a wall, but not a wall that can't be scaled or can't a hole can't be punched in, like that sense that it doesn't have to stay stuck back there. Let's shout over the wall to those dollars and say, hey, dollars, people with those dollars, let's move that money. And so you inspired folks to do that. What do you think was your most successful communication mechanism that, that got the word out? Well, we were surprised by all the press that we got. It mm. was kind of amazing. We were in Bloomberg, Washington Post, uh, uh, Chronicle of Philanthropy. Like it wasn't normal for a, a quote donor or someone to kind of come up with this and moving money in this way and to have, you know, to make it really limit free, like give wherever you want. Just we stepped out of the pictures. There wasn't really a lot of ego involved. It was yeah. really just to inspire um, so the press we got, I think, was really incredible. And then just hearing from people, it was amazing. I mean, people were like, well, this is the nudge I needed. Or I'm sitting around the dinner table with my adult kids and mm -hmm. we're talking about our values. We're talking about where we want to give. It was really starting mm -hmm. conversations and it was raising awareness of that money sitting. So yeah. it was really such a it was super exciting. And we, you know, we we had kind of started it you know, in response to COVID, but then we started to hear people say, well, when you do this next year, uh -huh. and we really hadn't <laughs> planned on this being a continued thing, but it was so powerful um, that we thought we have to do this again. And so for 2021, we again put up a million dollars and our daughters for Christmas gave us the most amazing gift ever. They surprised us and said, we want to put money into half my DAF. Um, our own money. And this is when um, we started to kind of have buckets of money for specific mm -hmm. causes. So this is where we showed up with our values because yeah. our older daughter said, you know, I want my money to go to racial justice. And our younger daughter said, I want mine to go to climate and environment. And then we also had incredible partners who joined us as well. And they started to say, well, um, education in underserved communities and reproductive health are, are things we care about. And so people can show up, put mo their money into this bucket, and they know that that money will go towards a specific cause area, but the money will also inspire giving. Yeah. And so the, the following year, we had even more money to give in matches. And we're now in year four, and we just gave away our first match. We match in, in the middle of the, the kind of challenge, and then at the end of September. And this year we had 
from March till now, basically, people gave $7 million through Half My DAF, which is just amazing. So excited, so exciting. And so we've moved over $41 million um, out of DAFs. At the same time, I have to say, the challenge is, is bigger because you know how much money is now sitting in donor advised funds? It's going Nothing. in the wrong direction. Um, there's now officially 234 billion. Whoa. Okay. So what is that? So that, so I guess that tells us that the best lens on that would be, oh, people are being more charitable. They're setting aside more money for charity, but it's the setting aside part that we're trying to, to loosen up. Right. It's, it's definitely individuals who have kind of discovered a DAF and kind of understand how it, you know, it's like opening a charitable checking account, you put your money in and then you can, so it's, it is a nice vehicle. So that's that. But I also think it's being used by foundations. Um, foundations are putting money, maybe in, you know, looking at it with a positive view, it's like they're putting money in there kind of temporarily and then moving it out. Um, but there's a lot of problems with DAFs because, right. you know, policy change, we are kind of starting kind of a, this grassroots movement, but policy change really does need to happen. There is a Accelerate Charitable um, Efforts Act that was put in mm. front of Congress that really said there has to be a payout requirement. After 10 years, you have to pay the money out and, and to change the, the 5% to 7% for foundations. And one of the things recently that, that actually Biden talked about is that the money when a foundation gives from a foundation into a DAF, they really shouldn't be able to count that towards the 5% they're yeah. supposed to give away, but currently they can. So it's yeah, a lot of charitable that. dollars getting shifted around and actually not getting put to work. Right, right. And again, if, if you know, if, I don't know if I'm kind of metaphorically, but not exactly picturing this wall again, if all the need is on one side of the wall and all the money, or at least this money is on the other side of the wall. Um, and if, and if foundations can count that towards their 5% payout, no one's actually benefited yet when the needs exactly. are so great. So I get that. So everybody listening, if you don't know about Half My DAF, please check it out online. I'll tell you that um, my husband and I, we started a donor advice fund during COVID. I think it was a similar, like we had more time to talk because we were around each other more, right? In, home, in, in the house. And we had not ever given through a DAF before. We set one up and pretty soon thereafter, I heard about half my DAF and that excited me. And I'll tell you folks, um, the, the matching that Jen just talked about, one of the gifts I made to one of my favorite uh, nonprofit organizations was actually matched, um, which is a random drawing. So, and, and so awesome. I had made the gift initially because a donor, another donor to that organization had announced a match. So that thing has been matched. I guess that's the third, there was the gift and there was my match. So it's the third or second time that money has been activated. So that was super exciting. And I have found, Jen, that it, two things have happened for me personally with using the DAF versus my just kind of, I'm a pretty impulsive um, philanthropist. I'm, I mean, everyone out there who's got, you know, call me around dinner time. I'm definitely going to pick up and answer your call. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, that was my mom. I got that from my mom for sure. We were just I wouldn't say we were suckers for any pitch, but we have a very empathetic heart. And we, you know, whether it was, you know, $25 or, or $250 was very, very easy to get, you know, that money from us because we care and, we, and we're trying to make a difference. And I've noticed with, with having the DAF, it slowed me down. Um, I, I, go, I have to use the mechanism or I choose to use the mechanism of the DAF. So I have to go online and I have to, you know, act, ask for them to move the money where it needs to go. Um, 
And like, you can't give as easily at an event, for example, you can't just like write a check sitting in, if you're at a gala and you want to, you know, actually probably could, the, that, that pause is probably good for me. I'm probably appreciating that. And then I'm also finding that I'm in the of giving more, not less because probably because of the pause, I'm making a series of more kind of concentrated decisions. And I like that. And then now with half my daft, I'm accelerating that and motivated to get as, cause we've signed the pledge, you know, to, to, to get half of it out by September. It's interesting that you talk about that pause or, or kind of having to go to the computer. And I, and this is one thing we tell nonprofits is because is that if it's easy for you to do, you do it quickly, right? You answer the phone. Oh, it's easy. I'll give $25. Yeah. Um, and we want to help nonprofits make it easy for people to give from their dApps. Yeah. So, you know, often we'll get a, a you, you might get an email that has a, a request or, or a donate button and you get the opportunity to write a check or, or send a credit card, put a credit card number in. All nonprofits need to put a DAF widget up there to make it super oh. easy for DAF holders to give through their DAF. Because I know mm -hmm. myself when I see something and, you know, it asks for like 50, 500, 1,000, I might just click that button but if I could give for my DAF, I might give more. Mm -hmm. And so the easier you make it for your donors to give from their DAF, um, the more you're going to get. And Great. so it's, it's making sure you, you identify, you know, that there, you can give from a DAF and make it easy for them to do that. Just be aware of that because there is a lot of money sitting there I'd and then it. you don't have to pay the, the credit card fee or, or yeah. deal with checks. Love it. So folks, again, on the website, on halfmydaf.com, um, there are, I know you can hit donor or nonprofit. There's, there's information and streams of resources for kind of whichever party is coming in to get more information about it. Another thing for the nonprofits who are listening and the development people and the, and the CEOs, et cetera, reaching out to your donor base with a DAF message. By the way, do you, like you do with employee matching, right? Lots of times nonprofits will reach out and say, does your employer match? This would be a similar thing. Do you have a DAF? And did you know you can give to us through your DAF? That money that you've given once now can be activated and given actually to a cause you care about. Okay, so now I'm going to grab my laptop because I wanted to show something else on the screen here because we're, guess what we're doing, folks? We're Oh, I have to sign in. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, we're talking about money, right? So can we see? Oh, <laughs> that's this is great. Jen, the cover of Jen's book, which is on its way to me, but I wanted to pull this up. First of all, I got to ask you about the birds, but you folks, the name of the book is We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. And I'll even say, even in this conversation, me saying I have a staff, I was feeling like, am I a little fancy now saying mm -hmm. that? And I got a little bit, a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So here we are. So Please tell us about your journey in becoming wealthy and talking about wealth and now speaking to other wealthy people. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm glad I could share that. I felt like a little like, oh, like I just yep. told everybody I had yeah. a daff. <laughs> so I'd it, love to talk about that. It is uncomfortable, but I'm glad you're saying it because, yeah, there's a lot of emotion that comes up, which is surprising. In fact, when I, when David and I came up with the idea of half my daff and we realized we were going to say we're putting up a million dollars that feels vulnerable. It feels uncomfortable, but I worked through that luckily and, and can say that now, but you know, I got really lucky when I was 25, I joined Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I met David and I got stock. Um, yeah. those were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. David's stock was worth millions. And then he joined a small startup that was selling books on the internet 
called Amazon.com. And suddenly we were in our early 30s and we really had more money than we could wrap our heads around, which was, of course, amazing, but also really surprisingly complicated and emotionally complex. I felt so many different things. Like I was kind of embarrassed um, and I was fearful. I was fearful of judgment. I was fearful of rejection. I had a bunch of questions. Were we going to spoil our kids? You know, should I give money to my brother? Should I give to my parents? How much? You know, were people looking at me differently? But I didn't talk about any of it. I yeah. felt like there was, this is something we don't talk about. Yeah. And um, so I looked around for books. There were no books about, you know, what it's like. And so I spent many, many years thinking about how money impacts us and our identity, how it impacts our relationships. And I told my story because I think we all learn from each other's stories. So it's really my story of kind of grappling with and thinking about um, money. Mm -hmm. And since then, I have been out talking about it. (laughs) And I've, I've done a lot of speaking events and talking about it to help validate the emotions and acknowledge the complexity and also to help other individuals and families get more comfortable talking because, you know, income inequality happens within families too. Mm -hmm. And families aren't talking to each other, extended families, you know, generational families. Um, And until we can talk about something and really put it in its place as a tool, we're not going to be able to use it in a way that's really joyful, (laughs) meaningful, but also with real purpose. So it's really to try to help people move out of any sense of shame or guilt, or I want to keep this hidden and into like a real place of, of power and purpose. Yeah. And joy, Um, playfulness, right? Playfulness. Well, and I heard once, um, I think it was a Ted talk. um, Dan Peralta did a Ted talk about um, op, general op, kind of generally speaking about general operating uh, support and why that's so important for nonprofits and they shouldn't be like um, embarrassed to talk about what it costs to run their organization and he his his theory his historical context for some of that discussion around around the charitable sector was that it started not just with the Puritans but the Calvinists who were a subsection of the Puritans if I got this right, early kind of American colonizers uh, to our land, or not our land, the land we occupied. Took over. Yeah. Um, And that they had in some, this is, pardon me, and and scholars, please reach out with any details I've got wrong here. But I think what I picked up from his talk was that they they themselves in their religion, there was a there was kind of shame around wealth, but they were quite good business people. So they had a lot of money. And so they came up with charity and donations to kind of assuage that guilt. And so if any of that is true, but it even just sounds like it could be true on some kind of human nature level. um, If that's kind of the, some of the ingredients that we have baked this sector around, no wonder we have this power dynamic that is off. No wonder we have this supplicant um, dynamic. No wonder we have a um, scarcity mentality, all of that. And here all you are, Playful Podcast audience, solving the biggest problems in the world with no guaranteed revenue stream other than like the largesse of others, which is pretty tricky. And so I think, Jen, thank you for talking about wealth, because I think if we can talk about what it is, what it isn't, how it makes any of us feel to have it or need it, it's likely the money's going to move a little bit more fluidly and hopefully in greater quantities where it's needed. Yeah. You mentioned power imbalance. And when you think of... uh 
nonprofits and donors. And I'm hoping this is changing, but I, I, when we first started half my deaf, several nonprofits said, well, can we really ask donors if they have a donor advised fund? Can we really ask them to move? Yes. I mean, you don't need to tiptoe around your donors. They are just people. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and that's easy to say, right? Because you do need funding, but I, I like the way that I hope philanthropy is moving where it is much more a partnership trust-based. I mean, honestly, donors should be begging you to be part of their organization, oh, begging you to you. take, yep. take their money. This pri- needs to be it is a privilege to give time or money to a cause you care about. And you nonprofits are making that possible. Exactly. You're doing all the work and dedicating your lives to solving some of our world's yeah. toughest problems. And yeah, we should be just honored to be helping to support on a, that work. Right. I love it. Okay. We better have some ice cream because oh, clearly <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. And let's, let's do the last bit of talking with ice cream. So do you have to go get yours? I do have to go okay, get it. Great. Perfect. So Jen's going to get her ice cream and I'm going to tell you about folks. Our ice cream sponsor for this episode is Salt and Straw, which is based in Portland, Oregon, was started by Kim and Tyler Malik. And I got to talk to Tyler on the phone about how it came to be that they went from a single ice cream cart to a ice cream company that is now in Oregon, Washington, California, and Florida. It turns out Jen has a salt and straw scoop shop, a retail location just down the street from her house. And I've got one, it's about 10 miles away, but um, I go there a lot. In fact, I told Tyler when I talked to him on the phone that the only time I've ever in my life said the words, I think I had too much ice cream was in one of his shops. So folks, if you're in any of those states and coming to a location near you, I'll tell you salt and straw, gives multiple and unlimited multiple tastes and they use like a, a like a teaspoon not like a little taster spoon and then they get these huge scoops so now i'm going to wait and see what flavor jen picked out salt and straw sent us each five pints in support of the podcast so she's going to come up with one of them and i have mine here in my little handy cooler next door or next oh next christine nearby. i couldn't choose one i had to take two <laughs> <laughs> out of five. I mean, that's pretty good. I was very excited to see five flavors. Oh, so what'd you bring up? Well, I brought up two flavors and they're coffee and love nuts. Oh, I have that and... one too. Perfect. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. So that yeah. one Great. is appealing to me. And then also the um, Arbequina olive oil. Yes. And of course, I, I, I really love olive oil. And so I, I chose this flavor and then I looked up Arbequina and it's supposed to be a very mild, uh, buttery tasting mm-hmm. olive oil. So I'm <laughs> really excited okay. to try it. And I'm going to read. Even though I have to say, I think this might be the first time I've ever had ice cream before lunch. Wow. Yeah. And we're on the same, you guys, sometimes I'm on the West coast and my guest is on the East coast. And for them, it's afternoon. I'm having breakfast ice cream. And they're having happy hour ice cream. So here's what they said. They sent me some notes about the flavor you're trying. It says, believe it or not, ice cream is one of the best ways to fully appreciate the flavor of high quality olive oil. The sweet, oh. simple, rich. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Really actually, that's really good. <laughs> Ooh, yay. Okay. And then I have this chocolate, no, excuse me, coffee and love nuts. Oh, I'm hungry, actually. <laughs> I would, this is delicious. And it, I'm also oh, like, God. yeah, I, would, I could eat Ooh. a lot of this. And this one says, an ice cream is cozy and comforting as Sunday morning. We brew a smooth, caramely, medium roast Columbia coffee 
blend it with our cream, stud it with Compartes Immaculate Love Nut Pecan Caramelized Tahitian Vanilla, sprinkled with sea salt, coated with 14 layers of chocolate. Oh my God. <laughs> mm. Well, the, the olive oil is delicious. And I have to try the mm. coffee one too. And folks, they deliver nationwide. So it's salt and straw and they deliver nationwide as Jen can attest. It comes in a really fun box. Um, so Jen, this, we can't, it would be remiss if we didn't do the play on words we have here with the ice cream feature in the episode, which is <laughs> this ice cream is so delicious. Okay. I'm a, I have to say, I am a huge ice cream fanatic. It's my go-to dessert. It's so I just want to spend two more minutes just eating this. Well, I tell people often, Jen, that I like, I'm so I get really distracted once the ice cream part of the episode starts <laughs> and, and, and I look up and I'm still eating and they've like put my guests and they put their spoon down yeah. and wipe their mouth. Yeah, I'll put it in business. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was so good. And mm. I, I'm happy I have more downstairs. Oh man. So, um, yeah. What's the scoop on how you came to care? And in that regard, sort of your earliest memory of kind of empathy, sympathy, looking up and caring about the world and maybe trying to be involved in making a difference. Well, I, I have to say, I think it's really, I mean, it's very, it is very personal because it really did start with my own examination of my relationship with money. Mm. Um, I didn't really grow up learning about giving money away and it wasn't a habit that I formed in my family. I mean, didn't feel like there was enough to give for mm. one thing. Um, but it was looking at my own good fortune and, then also looking out at the world and seeing the inequity and, and recognizing that I could make a difference with what I had, the privilege um, that I had, and starting to shift my money and power. Uh, because for myself, I mean, in a way, it's a very selfish thing. I mean, for one, it's with philanthropy, moving money. But also when I think about where my money is sitting or where I'm invested, I've started to invest um, for the first time, and I'm investing in women and women of color. Most venture capital dollars go to men and are from men. Um, women get less than 2% of venture capital money and women of color get even less. So what does that mean for the products and services we see in our world? And I really believe that if we have better diversity and, and variety of products and it's it's serving everybody in our in our country then we are going to all benefit from from that kind of diversity and there's so much overlooked talent and so much market opportunity out there yeah. it just makes social and financial sense so i've invested in several amazing women i feel like women are going to help change change the the landscape and the and, and marketplace and so that's exciting so i'm i'm really drawn to trying to move my money in ways that create a more equitable society because that's the society we will all benefit from. I, yep. I, I agree. You mentioned earlier about your daughters um, having some specific issue areas that they wanted to direct some of their dollars to. Do you find yourself, <laughs> I was going to say like your, your issue of the day or your issue of the year, do you find yourself kind of moving around and having different emphases yourself, you and David in some of your investing and, and donations, or are you pretty clear on one or two that you just, you really keep leaning back into? Well, over the last, you know, four years, it's really been around half my daff and helping other yeah. people inspire yeah. other people to give. David started a nonprofit 
15 years ago called World Reader, helping get access to books for kids in the developing world and now in the U.S. because World Reader is here in the U.S., um, really trying to get kids reading so they can uh, live a, a prosperous life. Yeah. So we've done a lot of philanthropy through that, both David's time as well as money. And then I have a lot of local causes that have touched my heart in, in different ways. Um, so places that I get, and I do believe that, you know, giving one, a one-time gift or a, is, is one thing, but I think really nonprofits benefit from multi-year gifts, gifts, they knowing that their donors with them for the long-term. And so I'm, I'm a donor for the long-term with many organizations. That said, I also am very open to looking around our world and figuring out where is the next place I want to focus my energy. And I do think it's gender equity. Um, and I'm not sure what that means for me right now, but, um, I also believe that, you know, people will often say, and this is actually kind of getting back to the DAF issue, like, well, why is that money sitting there? Why aren't people moving it? Um, and, and one is people literally tell us that they forgot they had a DAF mm -hmm. because what happens is sometimes your financial advisor tells you this is a good year to, to open a DAF. It's a good year to get that tax break. And then no one ever mentions it again. So you forget you have it. Um, but the other, the two big reasons are one, people are like, well, I'm working really hard. I'm heads down. I'm having my job. I'm going to get to my philanthropy later. Yeah. And I think that's old way of thinking. It's like yeah. old people are not the ones that are all going to do the right. philanthropy. You need to start thinking about it now. And it doesn't have to be complex. Just get started. Give some money, see how it feels, flex that muscle and build yeah. that muscle because giving is sort of a journey and it's a process. So our, our message there is just like, just start. The other reason people aren't giving is that they want to give. They, they put money into a DAF, which means they are charitably mm -hmm. minded. They know that money has to go to charity, yeah. but then they're like stuck. They don't know where to give or what to do or, and they, and I think, um, Philanthropy is an over-intellectualized where people are feeling fearful of getting it wrong, yeah, fearful right. that, oh, no, my dollars are not going to go to the right places or it, are they going to be well used? And I, again, get back to that idea that if you are giving to someone who's dedicating their life to solving a problem, that is don't be fearful. Yeah. You are already like winning there and that, yeah. that you can't really go wrong here. So, again, just start and, and find something and start with something that that really resonates with you look inside yourself of what you care about most and go with that trust yourself trust your heart yeah. um and and find an organization that you can kind of partner with love it and you know in fact i think half my daft even if you don't have a donor advised fund if you go on halfmydaft.com you'll see some of the nonprofit organizations that people with DAFs have been donating to. So you can scroll through and by name alone, you'll probably see some of the issue areas that you care about. And in a sense, there've been, there's a, you know, I'm not calling it an endorsement, but there's people interested in that. You all are highlighting that. And it's a great place if you're kind of shopping around where you can see a really great list of, I was on there yesterday, the great list of nonprofits that have benefited from, from the movement so far. Oh, Christine, I love that you mentioned that. I think that is so true. It's like I'm discovering nonprofits all the time through Half My DAF. And it's like, oh, wow, I, that seems so cool. I mean, there's so many amazing organizations out there um, doing incredible work. And it's fun to see the, the different places that people are supporting. I agree. All right. So I think the call to action has emerged here a couple times during the call. But if you, if you wanted to... Um, to inspire, or you have inspired, if you want to call some of our audience to some action, what would it be? 
Well, we get just gave away um, a, a chunk of money in matches, but there's still um, $700,000 that we're giving away at the end of September in matching grants. So any any gift that was given through Half My Daff is that didn't get matched is eligible for a match during that time, but any new grant is also eligible. So if you are thinking, oh, I want to get my money moving, I want a potential match, Go to Half My DAF, and all you need to do is commit to spending it down. We're, we trust you. We're trust-based. Can make that commitment and then send us our DAF receipts, and we will put all the nonprofits you support up on our website. And then in the end of September, and we randomly do this. We put all the nonprofits in a, in a spreadsheet and just randomly go down the list and start matching. And Great. talk about playful. It is so exciting. And people yeah. are really excited to see whether or not their donations are matched. And it, it creates a lot of excitement. Wonderful. Well, and and also your book for those who want to talk more about, want to read about wealth and talk about wealth. Jen's book, We Need to Talk, is a great um personal story of doing that, which may inspire conversations that you all want to have with each other, with your family, and with your donors if you're a nonprofit organization. Thanks so for thanks, that too. Jen. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Very fun. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye -bye. You too. Bye. Well, hey, everybody, we just finished up our conversation with Jen Risher and today's double scoop. It is hard to choose, but I'm going to pick these two things that have stuck with me from that conversation that I think are also very actionable. Number one is sort of a mindset shift for or suggestion for nonprofit leaders, which is to remember that your donors are lucky and privileged to be able to contribute to your organization. In fact, Jen's words were, donors should be lining up to support you, right? So it's not, the, we're not lining up with our hands out when we have charitable work that we're seeking support for, but vice versa. Think about that you have the opportunity that you're giving charitable and philanthropic people to participate in the change making that you're doing. So I love that sort of change in mindset and changing that dynamic, because that's actually the fact, right? And then the second thing had to do with the, it's called the ACE Act, A-C-E, which is the acronym for a bipartisan bill. It's Senate Bill 1981, and it stands for, A-C-E stands for Accelerating Charitable Efforts Act. And it is the current piece of legislation that would make some changes to the tax code, specifically regarding donor advised funds, as Jen was talking about with the Half My DAF effort. And it would require that money to move faster. There's no requirement now for it to move at all. It's restricted for charitable use, but it's not required to move. And that would put a time limit on that. I think it's 10 years. And the other thing is that it would change the current allowability of a private foundation to put money in a DAP and have that count towards their 5% payout, which is kind of just moving money around and isn't necessarily always bad. But again, it's creating another pause or moment or block between the money actually getting into the hands of the people that are using it for the benefit of those they serve. So those two things I think are really enticing and full of flavor for the Double Scoop this week. Thanks a lot. Glad you joined us. Thank you for listening to the Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. If you want to stay playful as you tackle the world's problems and get all the scoop on today's tastiest ice cream, click to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can learn more about Christine on LinkedIn 
and her work with changemakers worldwide at impactfulinc.com. That's impactful with two L's, I-N-C.com.